the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So, Earth Day is today. Or tomorrow, I forget. I, I guess I could just look it up real quick, but it's this weekend. Now, that means we have to do our annual Earth Day segment. And we'll do that coming up in the next hour. Um, we, we did our, on my local show, we did our annual Earth Day tradition, which is an uh, old friend of mine from Tennessee calls in and cuts down a tree. So we did that. So that's good. Uh, but now we're going to do our Earth Day segment about recycling and why recycling is a total waste of time, money, and energy, and you shouldn't do it. Now, the way I prove that it's a waste of time, money, and energy, and you shouldn't do it is by going to the beginnings of it. And, and tell the story of why we even started recycling in the first place. Do you know why? Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you think we should? Don't you, don't, I mean, if, if everyone agrees it's a good thing, right? But shouldn't you know the beginnings of it? I think when we know the beginning of something, then and, and, and if it's a bizarre beginning or a bad beginning, then you start to question why the heck we're still doing it today. And that's the approach I want to take with um, with recycling coming up in an hour. But I got another example of this. And this ties into the science march that's going on today or tomorrow. Because sometimes science is very, very wrong. Very wrong. And we're doing something in our society today that is wrong and it's based off of bad science. And that is sex change operations on children. Do you remember last week we talked about a Yale Medical School doctor, Yale Med School, who said 10 years ago, 10 years ago, what they're currently doing with children would be considered malpractice, but today it's protocol. 10 years ago, if they gave a a child puberty-blocking drugs when they were 10, and then a couple years later, started giving them estrogen or testosterone, depending on which, you know, what they want to be or whatever. That would be malpractice. Today, protocol for thousands of kids. That's the Yale Med School doctor saying that. And why do they do that? They do it so that you, they give the puberty-blocking drugs so that it's easier when the child is an adult to have a sex change operation. That's, that's the whole, that's the thing. 
how did this start? It's happening today. It's becoming more and more prevalent. How did it start? Dr. John Money. That was his name. He's the guy. Dr. John Money. Most popular in the 60s and 70s. His theory was that gender is learned. That you're not born with a gender. You learn it from society. So he was all in on culture defining gender, and and he was out to prove it. So he came across the Reimer family, and they had a set of twin boys, Brian and Bruce. They both went in for their circumcisions, but the one on Bruce was botched. The doctor messed it up. And Bruce's genitalia was beyond repair. His parents went to go see a psychiatrist, Dr. Money, who saw this as the perfect opportunity to test his theory because these boys were twins. So he told the parents that they should cut off this boy's penis completely and surgically create a vagina on the boy and then raise him as a girl. So they did. They changed his name to Brenda. Now, Dr. Money monitored these twins, Brian and Brenda, monitored these twins as they grew older. And in all of his reports, he said, everything's great. Oh my gosh. Just as I suspected, just as I suspected, society treated Brenda like a girl. And here she is growing up a happy little girl in every way. And this proves that gender is a societal construct and that sex change surgeries are successful and it can improve The life of anyone who has one. This is the beginning of sex change operations. This, Dr. John Money. And this experiment right here. Now, here's the thing, because there's sex change surgeries going on all the time. Wasn't Caitlyn Jenner on Tucker the other day or did Diane Sawyer and blah, 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 all stuff. That, what Dr. Money did, he made it all up. Oh, no, those boys, that was real. But all the positive results completely, totally made up. Now, not only did he make up the positive results, the guy was sick. He made the boys simulate having sex with each other. Made them get naked, get in certain positions, and he took pictures of them. He later defended this saying that part of the treatment for the kids was to engage in his words, sexual rehearsal play. And he said, this is important for quote, healthy adult gender identity. 10 year old kids. The guy was a total pervert. He believed that pedophilia was okay. And that 10 year olds could have a healthy attraction to older men and vice versa. And that's totally fine. Both kids grew up horribly depressed. Brian died of a uh, drug overdose or overdose of antidepressants. Two years later, Brenda, who remember started out as Bruce, then went with Brenda, then, uh, then was, went back to being a man and was now known as David. He shot himself in the head with a sawed off shotgun at the age of 38. And their parents blamed Dr. Money for doing this to them. This was all exposed in 2004. This, this is the beginning of sex change operations. 
this was exposed again, 2004. And Dr. Money's response was, ah, right-wing media bias. Right-wing media bias. And and all of this is made up from people who quote, people who believe that mask, I'm not kidding, masculinity and femininity are built into the genes so that women should go back to the mattress in the kitchen. Right? So he's saying that, oh, you're only critical of what I, of, of me and you're making all this up. There's nothing made up about it, obviously, but you're, you're only critical of this because you think that men and women are, are different and that women should get back in the kitchen, right? You, you only believe that there's men and women so that you can subjugate women again, which is very similar to what we talked about in the last hour with the two progressives this week who wrote editorials saying that truth is a, is a social construct, is a, something that was created by white supremacists to oppress colored people. So this is the same thing. The idea that men and women are different is just something that you make up so you can oppress women. That's what this guy said. Totally delusional. But here's the problem. Not just for what happened to these two boys, obviously, which is, oh my gosh, could you imagine? But this is what the current science and medicine of the transgender movement is based off of. The idea that you can raise a boy or a girl as the opposite gender and everything will be fine because gender is a societal construct. That's not the truth. But decades of surgeries have been done on kids based on this guy's research. Amazing. So why, why, does this, why does this continue? There's deceit, first of all. Uh, there's deceitful people. Deceitful people play, uh, prey on the vulnerable. Um, and then when you're vulnerable, you're desperate, right? So you have, you, you have deceitful people who look for vulnerable people and there's people who are desperate. Remember last week when we talked about the Yale med school doctor, you know, how, how, how could a parent think that this is the solution but they're desperate? Why did people, and we talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago, why did people get lobotomies as recent as 50 years ago? A lobotomy, I always thought a lobotomy was they would shave part of your head, cut out like a a rectangle of your skull and go in and do a brain surgery or cut off part of your brain or something. No, no, they would take an ice pick. Literally the guy who did this got an ice pick from his kitchen. Take an ice pick, put it above your eye, in your eye socket, hit it in with a hammer, and then swash it around a little bit on the front of your brain and then pull it back out. That was a lobotomy. That's how they did lobotomies 50 years ago at the VA, at Johns Hopkins Medical Center, at UMass, all around the country, 50 years ago. Why would people do that? Why would, why, they're desperate. People are schizophrenic, migraines, all the rest. They're like, I, how desperate do you have to be to think that that is a solution? There's deceitful people and there's desperate people. And you put them together. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. You're going to love this story. So a professor at NYU, by the way, $72,000 a year to go to NYU. Keep that in mind as I share this story, $72,000 a year. So a professor was appointed um, the chair of a hiring committee, and they were looking for a new full-time writing professor. right, so this professor was going to teach a, a full year, or excuse me, a first year writing class and a journalism class. So they got a bunch of applications, obviously, and they narrowed it down to a handful of people that they were going to interview. So the chair of this committee received an email from one of the finalists, and she shared it with the rest of the committee. Here's what she wrote. After reading the email aloud, I argued that the missive, this email, effectively disqualified the candidate. The writing was riddled with awkward expressions malapropism so malapropism is like it's uh, two words that sound the same but aren't so sciences and sinuses right so if, if she wrote an email oh i i really enjoy studying the the sinuses right but she meant to write sciences that's a malapropism uh so imagine if you write it you wrote an email with two words that sound the same that aren't the same when, and you're applying to be a writing professor. Misplaced punctuation and other conceptual and formal problems. Rarely had a first-year student issued an email to me that evidenced more infelicitous, uh, inappropriate, more inappropriate prose. Why don't people write like that? I asked my fellow committee members how we could possibly hire someone to teach writing who had written such an email. The candidate could not write. I also pointed back to her application letter, which was similarly awkward and error-laden. My committee colleagues argued, we do not teach grammar in our writing classes. What? So the chair preferred someone else. So then it, it was time to interview that the person who the chair liked. And there was another person on the committee who was incredibly rude to him. Belligerent, hostile, angry, just like horrible at this person. And the committee chair was like, whoa, what, what's the deal? Why were you horrible to this person? And this is what he concluded. He had a fatal flaw. The candidate was a white straight male. So after that interview, the chair went to this lady and things escalated quickly. And let me quote, what happened next was telling. I was unwittingly enmeshed in an identity politics fight. The woman who had verbally assaulted me was a black female, and the candidate whom she championed was also a black female. I was informed by the dean that pursuing a grievance or even remaining on the committee was now, quote, complicated. So the dean had her step down from the committee. She went from the chair of the committee to now not even on the committee. And then the committee went on to hire the woman who couldn't write. 
Okay, so that was last year. Now she's hired. This is her faculty page. Okay, uh, well, let me quote from the uh, from the former chair. Her faculty profile page betrays the same awkward prose, poor incorporation of quotes, and other problems of expression typical of first year student writers, but usually not professors. You ready? The profile includes a glaring grammatical error. This is the opening paragraph of this person's, this is the faculty page, like the NY, the official NYU website. You ready? This is what the professor wrote. The two main objectives in teaching is. The the two main objectives in teaching is. Are you kidding me? The two main objectives in teaching are. That is a basic singular versus plural agreement, right? <laughs> Noun adjective agreement. Noun pronoun. Like that's like that's what are we talking about here? The two main objectives in teaching are, not is. It's like fourth grade stuff. This is an NYU writing professor. $72,000 a year. She has five reviews on Rate My Professor. Four of them are one-star reviews. And then the one five-star she got is from someone who is inspired because she's a black female professor. And the other four reviews, all one-stars, talk about how disorganized she is and how nothing was ever graded and they get no feedback. And she wasn't smart. Now, here's where this conversation always goes. Oh, Slater, you don't want black professors. Oh, you know, this is why racism continues in America. It's the structural patriarchy that keeps people of color from achieving top-level positions, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Let me quote from this uh, this professor, the, the, real, the chair of the committee. Uh, it is sheer cynicism to suppose that qualified candidates cannot be found among minority groups Blatant tokenism in hiring and promotion jeopardizes the integrity of higher education and also undermines the objectives that diversity initiatives aim to promote. So in other words, what good is tokenism for anyone? For, I mean, what good is it for the students, which should be the number one priority, right? That's what the point of the university is, what's best for the students. So clearly this isn't hiring this professor is not good for students. It's not good for the school. It's... I don't think it's good for black people in America. I don't think it's good for this woman, the, the professor. And it's no, it's no good for anyone. No one, no one wins here. Also keep in mind that this professor has a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and she got her PhD from Rutgers. She got a PhD. She got a PhD and on her faculty page. And this isn't just, you know, listen, everyone makes a mistake, right? Everyone makes a mistake. Well, here, here and there, I'm, I'm, I talk for four and a half hours a day. My, my local show is four and a half hours. I'm going to uh, I'm going to say one thing here that maybe whatever, or I may do an email here or there and mess mess something up, obviously. But this woman apparently, in her application, was screwed it up. In the email to the hiring committee, screwed it up, and on her faculty page, basic, plural singular screw like what. So this is there's a pattern of this in pretty important places, and she has a PhD. Which, further proof, means nothing more than piled higher and deeper. I got to run here, but let me, uh, I'll end here with the opening paragraph of one of her papers. Okay, because you're wondering, well, how could she get her PhD? Here's how. 
You ready for this? Brace yourselves. This is the opening paragraph of one of her published papers. The consumption of Nollywood films, Nollywood are films in Nigeria. The consumption of Nollywood films in the United States is a site of complex translational engagements and a location of disjunctured processes that illuminate how diasporas are imagined, created, and performed. This study focused on how three major groups in the African diaspora community located in the New York metropolitan area negotiate identity within the historical, political, and sociocultural circumstances of their locality. African-Americans, Cuban migrants, and African migrants who interact with each other via the consumption of the popular African video films articulate and intricate and layered understanding of each other, as well as their group's meaning of blackness. These articulations show that blackness is a concept that differs inter-ethnically and intra-ethnically. What a pile. But that's how you get PhDs these days. And that's how you get professor jobs at a school that's 72 grand a year. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. I want to talk about how um, it's very difficult to change people's minds on on things. And I think the story here uh, explains this very nicely. So I actually have two stories here. Um, first is a Reuters survey. They called people up and they asked the following question. To what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Now, I pause there because before I even tell you what the statement is, that, that part right there, what I just said, is pretty important. So let me say it again. To what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Okay, so go ahead. Let's, let's go ahead and answer this. Here's the statement. American exceptionalism, the idea that the U.S. holds a unique place in history, is insulting to people from other countries. Agree or disagree? Now, if I were doing this survey, and this will make sense in a second, but if I were doing the survey, I wouldn't do that question because it, it, it American exceptionalism might be insulting to people from other countries, but it shouldn't be. So if I were answering that, I'd say American exceptionalism is insulting to people from other countries. I'd agree with that. Like probably is. It shouldn't be, <laughs> but it probably so. But let's take the spirit of what they're probably what they're trying to do here. So. American exceptionalism is is a bad thing. Is basically what this this quote is. This statement is: American exceptionalism is bad because it's insulting. To, it is insulting to other countries. That that's what they that's what they're trying to do here. So Democrats uh, are likely to agree with that. That American exceptionalism is insulting to people of other countries. And generally, that's because Democrats are globalists. So they'll agree that American exceptionalism is insulting to people of other countries. Like this is what Barack Obama, when he was first elected, he went to Europe 
And he said in a speech that, oh, you know, I believe in American exceptionalism, just like the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism and the Italians believe in Italian exceptionalism. So in this poll, 55 percent of Democrats agreed with that statement. Then they asked the same question, but added a line. Ready? This is what they said. They said, to what extent and they they called different people. To what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement made by President Donald Trump? And the same statement, American exceptionalism is insulting to people of other countries. Completely flipped. Now 55% of Democrats are like, oh, no, disagree, disagree. Same thing happened with Republicans, right? Republicans who are much more nationalist believe in American exceptionalism. At first, they disagreed. A majority disagreed with the statement. And then when they found out that President Trump said it, most were like, oh, yep, definitely agree. Mm -hmm, Yep, no doubt about it. (laughs) So they did this for uh, a bunch of different questions, and it was all the same same, uh, pattern. So why? Why does this happen? Why do we not judge the statement based on the statement itself? And instead, we judge the statement based on who said it. Why do we do that? We do it all the time and everyone does it. There's two reasons. First, security in groups. So we don't have time to do it now, but uh, there are four, four different stages from being a baby to high school of how you form friendships. So when you're a baby, there's, there's no, you don't play with anyone else. And then when you're a little older, you start to play parallel to someone else. You're not really, there's no roles. There's no real roles between toddlers. And then they get a little older and it's like one-on-one play, but you can't, like a third person doesn't make sense. So there's different developmental stages of how kids form friends. When they get into middle school, this is when kids start to form their own personal identity. But because that's hard and it's scary and it's lonely, Kids find comfort and security in groups, right? But then the group identity, it's formed not so much based on what the group believes because no one really in the group knows what they believe because they're all trying to find themselves too. So if you put a bunch of people who don't really know who they are in a group, like the group doesn't really know who it is, but they define themselves based on what the group is not. Like we are not the nerds. We are not the, the geeks. We're not the goths or whatever. And that's when you start to get clicks in school. It's, it's natural. I'm not saying it's necessarily good, but it's natural, and this is just how it, it works. Now, here's the problem with this. We don't really grow out of that phase. Most people don't. We still associate our opinions and our identity with a group. So when you're trying to change someone's mind on something, it's really hard because that person knows deep down that in order for them to change their opinion, they're gonna have to lose. They're gonna have to leave that group they're in. They might lose friends. They're 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 losing a piece of their identity if they change their opinion. Now, the group that they're in, it might be a literal group. Like they might be in a Tea Party group. They might be in a Democrat Party group. They might be in, a, in an environmentalist group. And if they dis, if they change their mind. Let's be specific because it's Earth Day. Let's say you're trying to talk to someone about global warming, all right? And you don't think that that's catastrophic and that humans are involved. And you're trying to talk to a just full-on Al Gore environmentalist. And they're a part of this environmentalist group. They're in Greenpeace, okay? And they got a lot of friends in Greenpeace. 
they form they they feel secure in that group because power in numbers, right? This is just natural. So if you're talking to this person and you make wonderful cases, you make a brilliant argument and it's just rock solid, even if they agree with you, even if they agree with you, it is so hard for them to change their mind officially because that means they're going to have to leave their group and they're going to have to lose some friends. And that is really difficult to do for anyone. So they're so close. They're ready to just, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you. I'm, I get it. Oh, you are so right. And then at the last minute, they're just pulled back because they're afraid of leaving their group. Now that could be a little group or it could just be kind of this concept of, of a group I'm in, even though it's not an actual group, but it's like, it's like, this is who I believe. This is who I'm, I am, right? This is my identity. My group identity is this kind of like vague concept, but it's the same idea. And people don't want to lose the membership of their group. It's scary. Give you an example. My local show the other day did the uh, the segment. I talked about the, the that made the argument. Did the segment that we're going to do coming up in twenty minutes about re- recycling and why recycling is a waste of time, money, and energy, and it's stupid. So, someone called in, and he's a conservative and an environmentalist. And he said, "Slater, you're wrong about recycling. It's a good thing. My grandma taught me to do it a long time ago when I was a little boy." And then he stopped talking. I said, yeah, and? Like, what? what's your argument? Well, my grandmother was an amazing lady. And, right, and, like, that was, and then I was like, okay, but that's, that your grandma was wrong. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what, the, I mean, so we had a 20-minute conversation, and we went back and forth, and I made it, he, he said, uh, he did the but what about, right? So people who are on the defensive, they do the but what about. So you make a good point, and they go, oh, yeah, but what about? And then you make a good point. Oh, but what about? And what, but, but what about? Well, but what about? So we kept doing this, but what about game over and over and over and over and over and over. And finally, he just, he was like, okay. But I still think you're wrong, right? It's like, what? So why wouldn't he agree? Why wouldn't he agree with me? Because if he agreed with me and, 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 and changed his opinion that recycling is a waste of time, money, and energy, and it's a dumb thing, and I shouldn't do it, it would be insulting to his grandmother. His grandmother was the group, right? That was the version of a group. Like I'd ha- he would have to admit that his grandmother was wrong. He would have to admit that his grandmother did the wrong thing and taught me the wrong thing. And that was just too hard to do. So instead, he'll just keep saying, Slater, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're, but what about, what, but what about, but what about, but what about? Because there was something pulling him back. And in his case, his grandma. But it could be a group of people or whatever. Isn't that fascinating? So keep that in mind when you get really frustrated at people who don't change their mind about something. There's a deep reason why. Now, it, luckily, Chris is the person who I was talking to. Chris came right out with the fact that his grandmother taught him how to recycle a long time ago. And he obviously is super close to his grandmother. If he didn't start with that, and he just came right out with, recycling is amazing and you're an idiot. And we just went back and forth for 20 minutes. I would never know why he had such a connection to this idea. Like, why are you so tied to this? Why are you so married to this thing that that recycling is amazing? And I would get frustrated. Like, why don't you just get it? Why don't you change your mind? Why don't you agree with me? What's wrong with you, right? 
but the fact that he started off with the whole grandma thing is like, oh, I get it. Okay, that's why that's so difficult for you. Isn't that interesting? I want to take one more one break here. I want to come back and uh, give the second reason why we uh, why we form opinions the way we do, and therefore why it's really really difficult to change someone's mind. It's not impossible. You just got to know you got to know what it is. So we didn't have time on my local show, but if I was talking to Chris one on one, I I would talk to him about his grandmother. If I really wanted to change his mind on this, now I don't really care about recycling that much. But if it was something I really cared about, I would talk about him and his grandmother and his relationship with his grandmother and and how amazing and what a wonderful woman she is and how she's fantastic. And oh my gosh, she taught you so many wonderful things and her heart was in the right place. And she's a wonderful, beautiful lady. Oh my gosh, I love her. Oh, I can see why you respect her. Right. And, and you, and but you know, this, she was, she, I think she was wrong in this. What do you really think she was right on this? And you kind of like work there because that's where the problem is, quote unquote. That's what the, that's where the tie is. So if you want someone to change their mind, you got to get to the root of where they form their opinion. And for Chris, it was with his grandmother. He agrees with all the facts. He agreed with everything I said about recycling, which we'll get to in 15 minutes. He just couldn't sever the tie with his grandma. And so many people have such a tough time severing the tie with the group they belong to. Interesting. All right, we'll come back. I'll give you the, uh, the, the second reason why, we, why it's really hard to change someone's opinion. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio this is mike slater i'm very excited for our recycling segment i don't even know if i've ever done it on the blaze this could be the first the start of a new tradition uh all right so again there's uh researchers not researchers, reuters they said uh, you know to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement and then asked it and then said to a bunch of other people to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement made by president donald trump and it was the same statement so i will exaggerate but you know the first time and when they didn't say who it was from, 80% of people are, 80% of Democrats said, um, oh, I agree. Yep, I agree with that. And then when they were told President Trump said it, they said, oh, 80%. Oh, I disagree. Terrible. No, wrong. Mm-mm. No, no, terrible. I was like, what? How, how can that happen? You changed your mind on this just because you found out Trump said it? And Republicans are the same way, right? At first, they're like, oh, I disagree with that. And then they find out Trump said it. They'll say, oh, yeah, no, definitely agree with it. Wow, Why? Jonathan Haidt, H-I-D-T. He has a book called The Righteous Mind. Read it. It's great. Uh, He's a moral philosopher. He uses the imagery of a rider, so a person, on an elephant. The elephant is our emotions. The rider is our rational mind. This is how we make decisions. The mind is there only to justify the movement of the elephant, our emotions. Now, our emotions work first, and they're more powerful. It's an elephant, not a horse. It's an elephant. So our emotions work first. Our reason, our mind, comes second. And the reason, it's not there to find the truth. It's there to justify the actions of the elephant. Think of your your mind as a presidential spokesperson, right? So Sean Spicer, Sean Spicer never challenges the president. 
Sean Spicer isn't there to discover the truth or find the truth. Or Sean Spicer never says, mm, yeah, that's a really good point. I'll have to get back to the president and, and tell him he's wrong on this. Never. Sean Spicer is only there to justify everything the president does. So is our mind. It's there to justify everything the elephant does. So when the question is, to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement? The elephant doesn't move. No emotion yet. So then people can listen to the question and make their own rational judgment. But when someone says, to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement made by President Trump? Whoa, that elephant's moving all over the place, right? The elephant's, depending on whether you like him or not, the president's going far left or far right, and the elephant's in charge, right? So if the elephant hates Trump, then the elephant's going way far to the left and then you ask the rest of the question and the rider on top isn't there to answer the question anymore. The rider is there to justify what the elephant just did, what your emotions just did. And your emotions just said, I hate him. I hate president Trump, whatever he says, I disagree with. So they ask the question. And even if you, you, someone, uh, if you, if you just heard the statement itself, you would have totally agreed with it. Your mind is now justifying the emo- the elephant. And say, oh, we're way over here because that statement is wrong. It's a stupid statement and he's an idiot. (laughs) That's how we make decisions. Gosh, it's important to know this. And by the way, this is how we think too. No one is above this unless you have complete mastery over your emotions. Unless you have complete mastery over that elephant. Which almost no one does. But it's also what other people think. So if you want to change someone's mind... You have to speak not only to their rational mind, but you have to speak to their elephant. You have to speak to their emotions. And then have compassion for the real emotional difficulty it takes for someone to change their mind. Because in a way, they're also changing their identity. In a way, they're changing, well, like Chris his relationship that he had with his grandma, this memory he had with his grandma about recycling. And it's really hard for someone to make that jump. All right. Our annual Earth Day segment about recycling. We're doing it next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.